pop culture to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Not a great day, in contrast, for the Russian Federation. Uh, Russia just faced uh, another very negative vote in the U.N., the General Assembly. What does it mean? We will uh, let you know. They get thrown off the Human Rights Council of the United Nations. Why? (laughs) If you can't figure it out, you haven't been paying attention. Uh, Pope uh, Francis II is paying attention. Strong statement from the Holy Father and a very moving scene as he speaks out for Ukrainian children. And yes, a very big day for Katanji Brown-Jackson, who becomes the first ever, and you've heard about this, I'm sure, the first ever black female member of the Supreme Court of the United States. And the vote was not that close. It was 53 to 47. So how did Republicans react to losing the vote on Katanji Brown-Jackson? We will get to that on the Michael Medved Show. Uh, We will also get to the uh, story, which is just breaking now, of another um, apparent terror attack in Israel. Uh, in uh, near the center of Tel Aviv. I don't yet know exactly where. There were six people who were wounded by a gunman. It may have been a lone gunman. He may have had an accomplice. The gunman is dead. Uh, the six people who were injured, two apparently have died of their injuries. We will bring you more detail. This is the fourth such attack in the last two weeks, which is coordinated with the, what you'll pardon the expression, holy month of Ramadan. The, the important thing here is to understand that most leaders of the Palestinian cause right now, including Israeli Arabs, including the Palestinian Authority, including Mahmoud Abbas himself, the president of the Palestinian Authority, denounce this. They are not in favor of it. And it, it clearly gives the worst possible view of uh, what the holy month of Ramadan is supposed to mean, and it isn't this. Uh, There is also much more about two new nations uh, talking about joining uh, NATO and joining NATO quickly, and Russia threatening all kinds of results to Sweden and Finland? Really? And uh, there's also more about how this war ends. We'll be speaking later in this show to Gordon Chang about the idea of uh, Korea, Iran, and uh, China working uh, to undermine the United States while we are preoccupied with Russia. We'll be speaking with Gordon Chang later this hour. We'll also be talking to Daniel Henninger of the Wall Street Journal, who says that, look, President Biden appears to be reluctant to say that he wants Ukraine to win in one of the most just wars of recent time. Anyone who thinks that Ukraine is not fighting a just war, uh, you can give us a call, 1-800-955-1776. They are. They deserve to win. What uh, Henninger says, now we simply cannot let Russia win. It's much more important right now that Russia lose because of the example that it sets for the rest of the world and what it does to any concept of world order or decency or civilization or sanity, for that matter. 
Uh, we will get to that as well. And we will also be speaking with Professor Paul Kangor of Grove City College. I'm at Grove City College. I'm broadcasting right now, having just given a speech to the convocation of the Institute for Faith and Family at Grove City, a great institution which with which I'm very proud to be associated. And uh, we'll talk also a little bit about what I had to say uh, today to this convocation, which is about the limits of government. And I uh, made the case that the government should not limit itself from encouraging gratitude for the sake of its citizens and for the sake of the nation itself. Uh, we will get to that as well on the Medved Show. First off, uh, this is what it sounded like when the votes were announced in the United States Senate. The Senate voted 53 to 47 to confirm Ketanji Brown Jackson as the first black female Supreme Court justice. And uh, Biden immediately hugged his nominee as uh, Kamala banged the gavel for the vote that put her on the bench. Uh, listen. On this vote, the yeas are 53, the nays are 47, and this nomination is confirmed. Okay, there were no Republicans visibly joining in this uh, standing ovation for that vote. Um, most Republicans, 47 of the 50 Republicans in the Senate, voted against her nomination. But what was surprising to me, and I don't think it's a good look for the Republicans coming up to the next election or for Republicans in general, is most of the Republicans, um, not Mitt Romney, he voted for Ketanji Brown-Jackson, and, uh, and he was among the Democrats standing up and clapping respectfully for her nomination. Most of the other Republicans walked out. They just wouldn't even stand there, which is a shame. I, I mean, really? The, the, the idea that uh, any polling on this has shown that by at least a 20-point gap, at a time when the Republicans seem to be headed for a very successful election, that uh, people in the country at large, including a big chunk of Republicans, wanted to see Judge Jackson confirmed. Because, again, and I think the argument really here would be, okay, there's a Democratic president. He got elected. So what do you accomplish by trying to tarnish this woman who has really a pretty spotless reputation and, by the way, is, describes herself and her thinking as looking at the original meaning of the Constitution as it was understood in its times as the basis for any decision. She rejected the idea of a living Constitution, which is something liberals on the far left have uh, wanted for such a long time. Mitch McConnell, who I greatly admire, and I think he's a very effective uh, minority leader, as he was a very effective majority leader. Mitch McConnell on the Senate floor had a statement that I don't think represented his finest hour. He said this, clip 19. President Biden was elected on the promise that he would govern as a moderate, govern and unite the country. He insisted the radical left would not be calling the shots Please. 
Senator will commence. He insisted the radical left would not be calling the shots on his watch. But when it came to one of the most consequential decisions a president can make, a lifetime appointment to our highest court, the Biden administration let the radicals run the show. With Washington Democrats in power, the far left got the reckless inflationary spending they wanted. The far left has gotten the insecure border they wanted. And today, the far left will get the Supreme Court justice they wanted. Okay, that's actually not accurate and it's not fair. Uh, the, no one has ever described Ketanji Brown Jackson as a representative of the radical left. And uh, I'd, I'd think that probably that what you found is that, yes, the radical left was pretty quiet about her nomination. The reason they were was not because they loved it, but because they recognized as well. I, all you do by defeating her is giving Biden a second shot. And by the way, the chances that there would be somebody who would be to the left of Katanji Brown Jackson as his second choice seems to me highly likely. Uh, we will be right back with more on the U.N. vote against Russia. What does it mean? We'll tell you coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. MichaelMedved.com. More of Michael Medved in a moment. Michael Medved. And broadcasting today from the Institute for Faith and Freedom of Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, a beautiful campus, a great institution. Uh, Grove City is one of those very, very rare uh, institutions of higher learning that doesn't take any money from the government. They uh, maintain their independence, and there is genuine free discussion of ideas from every point of view, and uh, we'll be getting a, a little bit of that very directly on this show with a Paul Kangor, who professor here of history, who has just written a profound piece about the Russian relationship with mass death. Very important piece concerning the, uh, the, the vote today of the United Nations General Assembly. That's everybody. Every nation gets to vote. And the uh, vote was overwhelming against uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, the uh, latest that we're getting from Tel Aviv, from Israel, it's central Tel Aviv that this shooting attack occurred. Uh, part of it, at least on Dizengoff Street, and people who know Israel at all, Dizengoff is like the Broadway uh, or the, uh, the, the main district for nightlife and restaurants and uh, for uh, basically commerce and uh, excitement and crowds in uh, Tel Aviv, which is uh, the largest city in Israel. The, um, uh, the, apparently there are conflicting reports as to whether there was one shooter or two. And uh, conflicting reports as to whether the shooter was put down uh, by police or by bystanders. They are now saying there were uh, 
at least eight people who were wounded, two have died, and uh, of course not anything yet about the motives. This all occurring uh, on a Thursday night Israel time. So we will bring you the very latest. Uh, the UN General Assembly met today. They had a resolution to suspend Russia from the Human Rights Council. And the Human Rights Council is a, a council that includes 46 countries. Russia has been part of it, which is a joke. This is only the second time that a nation has been exposed from the Human Rights Council. It happened before to Libya. Uh, during the unrest concerning the end of Muammar Gaddafi, when there were all kinds of human rights abuses going on in Libya, as there are at the hands of the Russian invaders in Ukraine right now. Here's what it sounded like in New York at the uh, UN General Assembly, clip 18. The General Assembly is now voting on draft resolution A-ES-11-L4, entitled Suspension of the Rights of Membership of the Russian Federation in the Human Rights Council. Will all delegations confirm that their votes are accurately reflected on the screen? The screen. The voting has been completed. Please lock the machine. The result of the vote is as follows. In favor, 93. Against, 24. Abstentions, 58. Draft resolution A-ES-11-L4 is adopted. Okay, uh, this is uh, important. It's significant. Uh, it uh, comes along with the new attempts to intensify uh, sanctions, uh, perhaps aimed specifically at Vladimir Putin's two adult daughters. The... Um, Mouthpiece for Vladimir Putin, who we've talked about before, Dmitry Peskov, who speaks pretty good English. He, uh, he recently admitted in uh, an interview with a British TV show uh, that um, Russia has lost significant numbers of troops. He wouldn't say how many. The, uh, the German government assesses at least 10,000. Russian troops have been killed. He, um, he also dismissed war crimes in Bucha and Mariupol as fake and fraudulent. Peskov uh, failed to reveal exactly how significant the loss of the troops were, but he said, it's a huge tragedy for us. Russia in late March said it had lost uh, 1,351 soldiers uh, with others missing, uh, and that's been dismissed as wrong by a factor of 10 to 1, at least. In a wide-ranging interview, Peskov repeatedly refused to admit any wrongdoing on Russia's part and described footage of war crimes committed by soldiers as fake and lies. Uh, how appalling. How appalling. He rejected allegations of a massacre in the Ukrainian town of Bucha as a well-staged insinuation claiming that bodies found in the streets were placed there by the Ukrainians after Russian troops withdrew. We know that's not true because there's satellite photos for long before the Russians withdrew while they were still occupying the city and there were the bodies in the street there left there by the Russians as a warning or a sign. Peskov also defended the reasons for Russia's invasion 
and described it as a special military operation that was necessary because Ukraine has been an, quote, anti-Russian center since 2014. And what did that result in? Uh, the BBC had a hard-hitting, and yes, some of these details are graphic, so be warned, a hard-hitting report on some of the atrocities in Bucha from BBC, clip four. Many families were using the chance to get out of the war zone. Anna Shishko was desperate. We've been in the cellar for more than a month. My daughter has a new baby. They stole everything. And I cut my hair so I wouldn't get raped. Further down the road is the village of Zahaltsi, destroyed in the fighting. The only person left is Stepan. He used to have a neighbor. Stepan took us to his home. He died on his own three weeks ago while the village was in Russian hands. Animals have eaten the flesh from his head. He had basic medications, but it's not clear how he died. It is clear that the occupiers didn't help him. Okay, that's just a slight favor. His Holiness uh, Pope Francis II, uh, today, uh, actually yesterday, showed a flag that was brought to him from Bucha, Ukraine, during his weekly general audience on Wednesday. He, in fact, kissed the flag. The uh, Pope Francis pointed to the plight of Bucha, which has become a worldwide byword for Ukraine's suffering, and he called the town a symbol of why the world must support Ukraine, welcoming a small group of Ukrainian children at his general audience at the Vatican, the pontiff, called for prayers for the country as a whole and for victims whose innocent blood cries up to the sky. Pope Francis then kissed a grimy, bedraggled Ukrainian flag that had been brought from Bucha. Uh, look, all of this is significant. It deserves the world's attention. But so does the new dangers between South Korea and North Korea with Iran and China perhaps contributing in making more trouble while America is preoccupied with Ukraine. We'll be speaking with Gordon G. Chang, coming up on The Medved Show. Michael Medved. saying sticks and stones will break your bones but words will never hurt me well that may not be uh, accurate when it comes to the threat of nuclear war on the korean peninsula uh suk uh yun suk yol who is the president elect of south korea won a close election pro-american uh pro-korean seemed like a uh, a, a very, very worthwhile ch uh, change from President Moon. He had some harsh words about North Korea, and now they are threatening nuclear war. Are they serious? Uh, let us find out. We'll talk to Gordon G. Chang. He's reachable on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Don't forget the G. 
He's the author of the great U.S.-China tech war and one of the uh, leading experts having written the first book about the nuclear program in North Korea uh, on the danger of North Korea. Okay, first of all, we had talked before about the results of the South Korean election, which I think most Americans thought of as, uh, as, as very refreshing and, and encouraging. Has uh, Yun Suk Yeol, has he made a terrible mistake by speaking harshly about North Korea? No, Michael. And the reason is that the North Koreans were going to threaten everybody anyway. So, for instance, Kim Yo-jong, who is the sister of Kim Jong-un, the ruler of North Korea, um, her first threats were actually against the defense minister of the Moon Jae-in administration. Um, so she's just making threats against everybody. And this is in the lead-up to April 15th, which will be the uh, anniversary, the most important day in the calendar for North Korea, because that's the birthday of Kim Il-sung, the founder of North Korea. He was born in uh uh, on the day the Titanic uh, sank, uh, that's <laughs> 1912. And, and so they're going to always make threats in the lead-up to April 15th, regardless of what the South Korean leaders say or do. Okay, just a little bit of a sideline here. Um, Kim Il-sung, uh, the founder of this North Korean nightmare, uh, was raised a Christian, right? Wasn't he raised in a Christian home? Uh, yes, he was. And... Uh, Korea was known, really, and Pyongyang, which is now the capital of North Korea, was known as the Jerusalem of the East. Right, and uh, it would be safe to say that when he became dictator of North Korea, he didn't govern as a Christian. He uh, launched his own religion with himself at the center of it. That's right. Um, he built a cult of personality, um, but actually, um, which rivaled that of Mao Zedong, or uh, Ceausescu in Romania, and um, probably even outdid those two in terms of uh, deifying himself. Okay, bringing us back to the present, um, one of his grandchildren, uh, the sister of the current dear leader, has said uh, that uh, nuclear weapons could wipe out the entire South Korean army. Would they be limited to striking the army? Uh, no, they would strike Seoul, um, which, uh, you know, of course, many civilians. Um, but, you know, they, their goal would be to take over the South. And however they thought that that would best use the, which targets, um, that's one, those are the ones they're going to go after. And they will include civilians. So where, where are we now? Both sides, uh, the South Koreans don't have nuclear weapons, but they have a preponderance of conventional weapons, don't they, over the North? They have a, probably a far more effective military than the North Koreans, but North Korea has a larger one. And the real risk, of course, is that it, uh, the South Koreans would be overwhelmed. Because South Korea does have deficiencies of its own, especially over the last couple of years. It has not been engaging in the large-scale exercises with the U.S. Um, that was for a political reason. Um, and so, therefore, they're not as ready as they need to be, uh, should there be an invasion from the North. What uh, would you advise President Biden, if he took time to listen to you, about handling the current state of the North Korean threat? 
I'd, I'd advise him to do something which uh, President Trump started to do, but then dropped, and that is to go after China, because China has been keeping the North Korean regime in business. So, for instance, this year the North Koreans tested a hypersonic glide vehicle, uh, which can deliver nuclear weapons. The North Korean version of an HGV, as it's called, looks identical to that of China. So the question is, where did the North Koreans get this technology? And the least likely explanation is that they developed it themselves. The most likely explanation is they got it from China. We have to recognize that China really is the actor here that is keeping the North in business. Are they also helping keep uh, Iran's nuclear program in business? Yes, um, and they're doing that through a number of different ways, but one of them, of course, is purchasing more and more Iranian oil uh, and gas. And that really means that, that the regime there has the money to accomplish its objectives, which include developing the world's most destructive arsenal. What uh, if the United States and Europe had a choice today between consuming more Iranian oil or consuming more Russian oil? What kind of choice would you make? Um, I'd have to go with buying more of the stuff from Iran um, because Russia right now is engaged in activities which could bring down the international system. Iran is a real danger, um, but uh, Russia poses a greater one. Yeah, and and again, it, it, the the point that Daniel Hellinger, we're going to be speaking to him later in the show, columnist for Wall Street Journal makes, is that uh, the one thing that that uh, people have not ruled out is some kind of solution where Putin actually is rewarded for these war crimes and these horrors by a big chunk of oil-rich portions of Ukrainian land. Uh, what's the alternative? Well, I don't think we really have an alternative. Um, we have got to go after Russia with total sanctions. We have got to arm the Ukrainians with the stuff that they want. I actually think NATO should put its troops into that portion of Ukraine where the Russians are not present. And I think that we should offer NATO membership to Ukraine. I know people are going to say this is incredibly dangerous, but through really atrocious policy of the Biden administration, they've put the world into a position where there are only dangerous options. And actually, we need to actually have an effective solution, because if we don't, China will take the lesson and then cause trouble on its own periphery. Meaning Taiwan or more? Or Japan or the Philippines or India or you name it. Um, it's not just Taiwan. Uh, you mean, a, you mean an actual attack on Japan? You think that is possible and possibly in mind for North Korea and China? I think that it certainly is because, for instance, um, they have made the claim to the Senkaku Islands in the East China Sea, and China has used extremely aggressive tactics to pressure Tokyo. But also, um, we've got to remember that an attack on Taiwan will essentially be an attack on Japan, because um, in order to effectively take Taiwan, they also need to take uh, close-by Japanese islands. And so this is, uh, for Ch China, it's not just either Tokyo or Taipei. It's both. And uh, the United States has, uh, I mean, Japan is protected under U.S. treaties, isn't it? Yes, we have a, a NATO-like treaty. We have uh, Article 5, actually, the same article as the NATO treaty, which requires the United States to come to the aid of Japan.
which, uh, again, I think when you think about Japan is actually the world's third largest economy. It's a larger economy than Germany. And all of this uh, devastating in human rights terms and also potentially in economic terms. Uh, Gordon G. Chang, I'm afraid we're going to have to speak to you again soon. Let us hope for positive developments. Uh, when we come back, assessments of Putin's strategic goals. Coming up on the Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, an update on the uh, situation in uh, Tel Aviv. They have now identified uh, 16 uh, people wounded, uh, two confirmed dead. Uh, the gunman has not been apprehended and may not have been killed. Um, so he may still be at large. Uh, it's, it, it's just, um, it's a remarkable thing because this series of utterly pointless attacks, they're not based on anything. It's like Putin's attack on Ukraine. It's just pure, murderous evil. And part of what's so terrible about it is what I think most Israelis want is some kind of settlement, some kind of agreement with responsible Palestinians, if you can find them. And some of the recent responses from Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, from uh, Mansour Abbas, no relation, who was a member of the Israeli government. He's an Israeli Arab. He had a party, the, uh, an Islamist party, as a matter of fact, that did well in the recent Israeli elections where Arabs very much vote and participate. His statements had been encouraging. And with a, um, a much more moderate administration, coalition administration in power in Israel, there had been at least some hope of proceeding to some kind of stand down, some kind of negotiation to, uh, to, to avoid more of this. And then suddenly this explosion based on Nothing, it would appear, other than the advent of the, quote, holy month of Ramadan. What a mockery of uh, anything that anyone would describe as faith. Uh, we will give you more news as it develops. Uh, there is um, this, and I think it's, it's actually very encouraging. A uh, senior European Union official says the bloc's member countries should think about ways of offering asylum to Russian soldiers who are willing to desert the Ukraine battlefields. Apparently, there have been hundreds, if not thousands, of Russians who already deserted. European Council President uh, Charles Michel on yesterday expressed his outrage at crimes against humanity, against innocent civilians and children in Bucha and in many other cities. He called on Russian soldiers to disobey their orders. If you want no part in killing your Ukrainian brothers and sisters, if you don't want to be a criminal, drop 
your weapons. Stop fighting. Leave the battlefield. Mr. Michel, who represents the bloc's uh, governing um, body, uh, said in a speech to the European Parliament, endorsing an idea uh, previously circulated by others, Mr. Michel added that granting asylum to Russian deserters, quote, is a valuable idea that should be pursued. I hope so. And given the fact the thousands, literally, who have been arrested in Russia for protesting against this evil war, uh, and given what we know about people who have been taken prisoner there, who were ill-informed, who were lied to about how they would be welcomed in Ukraine with flowers and, and joy, uh, there must be more than a few uh, Russian conscripts who uh, would be willing to leave this evil cause. John Kirby, uh, the uh, State Department spokesman, pardon me, the Defense Department spokesman, he's a spokesman for the... Uh, uh, for the Pentagon, uh, had this to say about Putin's uh, strategic goals. Uh, listen, clip two. Mr. Putin has achieved exactly zero of his strategic objectives inside Ukraine. He didn't take Kiev. He didn't topple the government. He didn't uh, remove y Ukraine as a, as a nation state. And he's really only uh, taking control of a small number of, uh, of population centers, and even they uh, weren't the ones that he was really going after. Um, uh, so, you know, Mariupol is, uh, is still not taken. He's moved his forces out of Kyiv. He's moved his forces out of Cherniv. They haven't taken Kharkiv. They haven't taken Mikolaev in the south. Um, so uh, I think the, the proof is literally in uh, the outcomes that you're seeing every day. The Ukrainians are bravely fighting for their country, and they have denied Mr. Putin so many of his strategic objectives. Which uh, is notable and it's important. And it, it leads to this uh, other story. NATO Secretary General, NATO Secretary General, not the UN, uh, Jen Stoltenberg, says that Finland and Sweden would be welcomed with open arms should they decide to join the world's biggest security alliance, NATO, as Russia's war on Ukraine spurs public support in the two Nordic countries for membership. Russia has demanded the 30-nation military organization stop expanding, so the prospect of Finland and Sweden joining NATO could anger President Vladimir Putin. Almost everything could anger President Putin right now, right? But Mr. Stoltenberg, the NATO Secretary General, says NATO members might be prepared to provide a security guarantee for the period from when the two nations, Sweden and Finland, announce any membership bid and when their applications are approved. He declined to say what kind of protection they might get. In other words, the idea being that there wouldn't be an interregnum where they wouldn't be protected by Article 5. A poll commissioned by Finnish broadcaster YLE last month showed that for the first time, a majority of Finns clearly support joining NATO and in neighboring Sweden, a similar poll showed that those in favor of NATO membership uh, easily outnumber those opposed. Uh, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, uh, talked about 
a U.S. success in the key field of, of cyber. Uh, listen, this is clip one. The Treasury Department previously identified Malefef as one of the main sources of financing for Russians promoting separatism in Crimea and for providing material support for the so-called Donetsk People's Republic. After being sanctioned by the United States, Malefef attempted to evade the sanctions by using co-conspirators to surreptitiously acquire and run media outlets across Europe. We are also announcing the seizure of millions of dollars from an account at a U.S. financial institution which the indictment alleges constitutes proceeds traceable to Malefev's sanctions violations. The second action we are announcing today is the disruption of a global botnet controlled by the Russian military intelligence agency commonly known as the GRU. The Russian government has recently used similar infrastructure to attack Ukrainian targets. Fortunately, we were able to disrupt this botnet before it could be used. Okay, that's uh, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States. Uh, there is much more on this. Uh, Paul Kangor, who's a professor here at Grove City College, and a friend of this show, he's frequently on the show, he, um, he has written a very powerful piece for American Spectator about the relationship historically between Russian governments and Russian tyrannies, and there have been many of them going back to the czars, and some of the incredibly murderous czars who killed a significant proportion of their own subjects, like Ivan IV, Ivan the Terrible, Ivan Grozny in Russian, that, uh, that with that heritage, it might be easier to put Russia into perspective using that history. We will also be speaking about uh, the ongoing uh, concern about uh, Hunter Biden now spreading to the president's younger brother, who has also had big Chinese business interests. Is this going to bring down the Biden administration before the president even can be voted out of office? Uh, we will consider that on the Michael Medved show coming up. And uh, we will also be talking about making sure that in no sense Putin actually wins the war. And uh, understanding what that means for potential sacrifices economically and elsewhere in uh, for the United States. Oh, and yes, and then there was a uh, an interview, revealing interview with former president of the United States, where he said his biggest regret of the January 6th riot was that he didn't march along with the people who marched up to the Capitol building. Why not? because uh, he seems to believe that uh, his presence could have calmed the crowd. Uh, we will get to that and to much more in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.